I'm Molly Quell, contributing editor at Tax at Tax News. Shit. Tax News. You tax- <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've been in Luxembourg too long. Friday, October 9th, 2020, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Molly Quell, contributing editor at Dutch News and survivor of Europe's most mask-compliant tax haven, and with me today is my fellow contributing editor and person in need of dream analysis, Gordon Derrick, and Paul <laughs> Peters, master student in civil engineering and expert Trump tweeter. How's, how's your week been, guys? Uh, rainy. Yeah, yeah very wet. The so yeah. weather here rainy. has been real shit, eh? It's yeah. been terrible. I mean, we, we can't need a bit of rain, but this is going too far. This is uh, yeah, yeah, this is really too going far too in the far. opposite direction. It feels like uh, only two weeks ago or something that it was 40 degrees plus uh, here in the Netherlands. But yeah, the weather really turned around and it's uh, really autumn or fall or harvest, depending on uh, how you want to call it. Yeah, and it's really nice because it, it's just uh, coincided with the moment when I have to cycle 25 miles or 40 kilometers every, <laughs> twice a week with my son to take him to his new uh, work experience Placement. So I'm really grateful for that. You know, <laughs> so an hour and a half in the rain every there Monday is no, and Friday. There, there is no bad weather, Gordon. Only bad clothing. Isn't that what? Well, I have a lot of bad clothing. It turns out. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been having some weird dreams this week. I understand. Uh, I'm not sure we should go into this. I mean, it's not Halloween yet. I'm not sure we should frighten the listeners with this. I, I just had, I can't remember it too clearly, but I had a dream in which I was walking about with Mark Ritter and Hugo de Jonge. It was very yeah, strange. That's not a dream, Gordon. We call that a nightmare in English. <laughs> and, and and you were walking in the rain with a, with a, an umbrella, one umbrella with the three yeah, of you. Obviously, they had, they had the umbrella and I was okay, just yeah. walking. Of course. Yeah. Mm. It's a metaphor for something. I'm not sure what. I can't remember too clearly, but all I do remember is that uh, we weren't speaking Dutch, we were speaking English, but they were sort of talking like, you know, sort of English public school boys. It was sort of, it was like, they were were, were behaving like British people, but back in the days when British people could actually run things, you know, it was like that. So Mm. I think there's maybe a sort of bit of uh, nostalgia, a subconscious nostalgia going on there for, you know. Something. And of course, I mean, you have no competent leaders in your own country to dream about. So well, exactly. That, that's exactly the point. The ones yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, could we could we call Hugo de Jonge a competent leader at this point? I mean, more competent than Boris Johnson. Yes. Mm, like, I, think it's, I think it's a scale. I think it's you can still gradient. say that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He, he's fighting quite he's, he's challenging that assumption quite hard, but he hasn't quite. Um, yeah. yeah, he has, hasn't gone the full Johnson yet. Yeah. And speaking of incompetent leaders, Paul has really gone hard on the uh, making up fake Trump tweets this week. <laughs> yeah, I found out, uh, I found a website called tweetgenerator.com or something, and you could just generate fake tweets. So yeah, I made a couple of uh, fake tr- Trump tweets. Uh, and one, uh, he, he has been tweeting a lot since he uh, came out of uh, quarantine, out of the hospital. Uh, and uh, his caps lock seems to be stuck because he only tweets in, uh, in, 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 in capitals currently. So, um, but yeah, I noticed that all of a sudden everywhere in the country, there are oliebollekramen. So yes. little, um, it's yeah. very exciting. It's very it's the exciting. Most, it's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> it is literally Christmas come early, thanks to Corona. Yeah, 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 indeed. So I was really happy about that. So I generated a, a fake tweet uh, from Donald Trump announcing that all the oliebollekramen are back again. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what is the thing with Trump uh, tweeting in all caps all of a sudden? Is this a steroids? 
Kiki. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. And there's, it's supposed to have, the medicine he's on is supposed to have, like, mental health effects, so yeah. probably? Sure. Yeah, I think one of the side effects is that you will feel euphoric and, uh, yeah, overcompetent. And, I mean, Donald Trump is already feels like mm. he is... Uh, it already feels like he's king of the world, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah for indeed. Sure. So yeah. this is if this just enhanced that feeling, I don't know how he's feeling now, but we... Yeah. Someone should take away that phone from him. Yeah, but, but I mean, it's yeah. a surprise because he is such a very stable genius normally. Yeah, it's true. With, with the greatest Really came help. out of left field, all of this. And uh, you, Molly, what was your job title again? Um, yeah, you, you can yeah. pronounce it. Go for it. Uh, uh, survivor of Europe's most mask-compliant tax haven. There you go. Yes, I just got back from a, from a work trip to Luxembourg. Uh, yeah. Where they are quite compliant about their masks wearing, yeah. unlike the Netherlands, which has not quite figured out how to how to do that properly. So I've been trying to wear a mask in in, in public. I haven't been yeah. doing that uh, only on the trains uh, in the past months, uh, but I find it really difficult because I wear glasses, and when I yeah. combine that with a mask, then you know I don't see anything, and I bump. Yeah. Against people, yeah, I can't maintain the distance. You can't maintain the, distance the social distance because you can't, can't see, see it. it. Yeah, exactly. So I need to find out. Uh, uh, there are tons of tips and tricks by um, by fellow glass uh, wearing people uh, on yeah. the internet, but n- none of them seem to work. So I really need to find, uh, yeah, or a better mask or a working solution. But yeah, I was gonna uh, say, are, are there some masks that are better for wearing glasses? Because uh, with yeah, like uh, think, the washable um, masks better. I don't know the cloth ones. Yeah, I think so. The one that really, um, the, the ones they were on Prinsjesdag, like yeah. that, I was, that type I of was thing. hearing from someone else who was complaining about this that the ones that have like the little metal nose band, so you can sort of fit it tightly around your nose, um, oh, right. apparently help. Because then, of course, you're not just like blowing what they fogs yeah. up, right? Because you're basically just breathing on the glass, and so that yeah. sort of forces the air to go out somewhere else. Yes, but, but th- those are glasses, disposable, so, so yeah, that's. Yeah. Um, you have to throw them away after you've used yeah. them. So yes. Well, no, you can get the washable ones with the little. We have a couple with that have like a little metal oh, really? piece in the nose bit okay, that are cloth well, and washable. Well, uh, send me the link while you bought them, so um, I can I have will them do too. That. Molly, I trust you're uh, you're 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 claiming your uh, Luxembourg masks on expenses and deducting the tax, right? In in the spirit of Luxembourg. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, we I pay no tax when I'm there, as 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 anyone does in Luxembourg. That's, that's exactly just how it works. You're, you're just like a native. You're fitting in. Yes. <laughs> that's that's what you have to do when in Rome. And Paul, we have some uh, weird opaf this week. You thought it was weird? Yeah, I think it's weird too. I think it, it's weird. We, I think we, it's kind of nice, though. This, this, this is, is the it, nice. This, this is the best opf we've had for a while. I it's think. the most positive yeah. opf. Yes, I, I will agree. I with agree. That I agree. Uh, the opf of the week is that people got mad at the head of the Erasmus University Medical Center in Rotterdam for getting a haircut. Uh, for this opf, we need to go back uh, three weeks ago or something when a group of Dutch artists, influencers, and DJs posted on Instagram that they were tired of the corona measures, that they would no longer follow the rules, and they called on their followers to join their uh, their protest by using the hashtag Ik doe niet meer mee, which uh, rough, we had a little discussion about how you could translate that, but I think it tra- literally translates to uh, I won't participate anymore, but uh, Gordon, you had a better one. Yeah, I, I translated I translated it as count me out because mm. it, it needs to sound hashtaggy, you know, something yeah. people would actually use as a hashtag. Yeah. I, I, I think I, like I, I think like I'm not participating doesn't really cut it. 
No, no, it sounds like a, a very bad Dutch slogan that sort yeah. of yeah. <laughs> translated into English. It turned out the campaign was uh, an idea of Willem Engel, a dance teacher turned anti-lockdown activist and a notorious conspiracy theorist who had brought the group together on WhatsApp with members and such also, as... The worst part about him, obviously, is that he is a white person with dreadlocks. That's, oh, yeah. I, yeah, just, yeah, want, yeah. I just want to add that in. That's, yeah. that's just the worst thing. Uh, he brought this group of influencers together. That included Tim Dousma. He's a singer. Also a DJ Hartwell. I think that's the most well-known name, uh, internationally speaking. And also influencer uh, Femke Louise. The campaign was immediately criticized by a lot of people who expressed that disapproval on social media with the hashtag Ik doe wel mee, which means I will participate, count me in. Um, and a day later, influencer Femke Louise, uh, who, has who has a following of over a million people, was a guest on the talk show Yinek, where she was asked to explain why she joined the campaign. She didn't really have a coherent story, uh, and the 23-year-old was wildly ridiculed on social media for her performance there, including by me, I will not deny it. Um, and one of the other guests that evening was intensive care doctor Diederik Gommers, who is uh, one of the leading doctors of the Erasmus Medical Center and also a member of the outbreak management team. He yeah, sort of was one of the few who realized that Femke Louisa, who is a, just a young person actually, was just worried about her future and also about the economic impact of the measures. Uh, and he basically said that these are genuine concerns, which I think is, is true. Uh, but Gomez invited the influencer to a tour of the Erasmus Hospital to show her how serious the pandemic actually is. Uh, after which Femke Louise posted an apology on Instagram, along with an explanation to her one million followers about the seriousness of the virus. Uh, and on the advice of Femke Louise, Dr. Gomez started his own Instagram account, which gained more than 250,000 followers in only four days. And on Wednesday, he post posted a selfie of him getting a haircut with the caption, I need to look young for Yinek tonight. Uh, and this was obviously a joke, oh but a lot of people God. took this very seriously <laughs> and they thought that uh, his fame was really getting to his head and he needed to do normal. As ever. As ever. Yeah. 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 yeah, the, yeah the, the, the eternal Dutch reproach. I love how savage Dutch people have been about this extremely... Even if he was being serious, extremely benign sort of uh, <laughs> a bit of like being braggadocious or whatever, because it's, you know, you can't you can't be a tall poppy around here. It's just not OK. Yeah. Yeah. There's there a good uh, piece on Dispelt, the satirical website, where it said he'd, he'd had his uh, he's had his lips done as well. And, yeah. You know, <laughs> the start of Slippery Slope. That I like funny. that. Like Femme yeah, Louisa had. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that, that was really fun indeed. <laughs> Yeah, but this is—I thought it was just kind of. This ended up being quite a nice, wholesome story about you know how Fumper Louisa uh, saw the error of her ways, but also just because uh, Diederik Homer's actually spoke to her like a grown-up. I think we kind of missed yeah. that in the whole getting putting my serious hat on for a minute. We missed that in the whole uh, uh, Corona pandemic, and there's a lot of, been a lot about how the young generation are responsible for it all, and they brought it back from holiday, and they're not social distancing, and a lot of sort of people talking down to them. And not really engaged with the fact they got real concerns about their future. I think yeah. the reason Didi Thomas broke through to her was he actually um, took her seriously. And he, he said in an interview the other day that he'd phoned her up every day because he felt like she was getting a raw deal. Um, and eventually he you know, he went around and uh, the, the, they, they had a meeting. And uh, on the back of it, now they're now doing, I think, an online campaign where she's doing YouTube videos where she does like live interviews with him and asking questions about the virus. So it's had a very positive outcome, I think. And it, it means that some DJ commerce is actually getting through to 
yeah, um, to, to the younger generation in a way that a lot of other people haven't haven't managed to. I, I, I fully the, agree with that, the, yeah. I think the most uh, ironic part of all of this is, is that she was one of the influencers that the Dutch government paid at the outset of this nonsense <laughs> oh, to yeah, try to promote, uh, like, adhering to the rules. Yeah, so, that, was, that was sort of part of the, the, the main reason why she was uh, sort of the main target of this OPEF, because there were yeah. 40 or 50 other influencers uh, involved yeah, as well. But people she, who are more famous than she is also. But yeah, I mean, this bit of hypocrisy, I think, yeah. was... She was yeah, actually paid to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think being a prominent woman on social media may have had something to do with it as well. I just, just... would not know anything about that. <laughs> it's fine. I think it's fine. Social yeah. media is great for women. You never yeah. have any problems. I'm sure. You I'll never, take your word for yeah. it. And yeah. and I also also want to point out that she is uh, the only influencer that uh, sort of uh, announced publicly that she was sorry and that she now she feels differently. All the other social media people just silently took took away their post and never yeah. paid attention to yeah, it. Yeah, so, pretended it never uh, happened. Pretended it never happened. So yeah, yeah. that's also something that uh, 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 yeah we should praise her for. I think. Yeah, good for her. This week, it's basically Corona news, and then some other stuff happened. But most importantly, we've got a weird news segment with coke-addicted dogs, royal solar panels, and a possible appearance of the entire government on Help My Mon is a Closer. <laughs> okay. That's a good one. Thank you. <laughs> because it's true. Because it's true! <laughs> yeah. The oh entire government, because it also involves the king, who is also part yeah, of the government. It's ev- yeah, everyone, it's everyone. The whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so do you want to hear some good news, guys? Yes. You're going to have to skip ahead about 20 minutes then to the okay. next, to, to the weird news item, because there's no good news He's, in the Yeah, I was going to say, there's all. no good news yeah. in about 20 minutes either. You've got to go the whole no. way to the end of this podcast, I think. Yeah, really. Um, because two weeks ago, Mark Ritter warned we could see 5,000 corona cases a day before the second wave started to slow down. This is back when we had about 2,000 cases a day. But that turns out to have been the good news, because on Thursday we had nearly 6,000 cases, which represents more than 33 out of every 100,000 people. Just on Thursday, by the way. Uh, All four of the major cities now have more than 50 infections a day per 100,000. The health board regions covering Amsterdam, Rotterdam and The Hague are now marked severe on the government's three-stage warning system, so that's the highest level. Among European Union countries, only the Czech Republic has now has a higher rate of infection than the Netherlands. So well done, guys. We're almost European champions now. We're ahead of Spain. (laughs) We're ahead of France. We're even ahead of Britain. We're we're ahead of Western Germany. Yeah, well, way ahead of Belgium. Belgium. Yeah. Yeah. All the other figures are bad as well. Um, the number of patients in hospital passed a thousand mark on Wednesday. In fact, the, the NSA put their lead story up on Wednesday morning saying uh, that we're likely to get over a thousand patients by the end of the week. And by the time the paper copy dropped through my letterbox, that was already out of date. It's oh, um, insane. There are, insane. It is. There's more than 200 people on the intensive care ward. And in the last week, an average of 16 deaths have been reported per day. Um, now, obviously, that doesn't. In- some of those deaths were actually happened several weeks or sometimes a couple of months ago, and have only just been recorded. Because the flip side of that is, there's probably a few people dying every week, every day, right now, who won't, who we won't know about for another, you know, for another month or two. So, yeah, uh, yeah make of that what you will. So it could even be worse. It than could be what worse. It is. It is likely that you're telling to be worse. us, which yes. is already fucking terrible. Okay, yeah. good to know. Thanks. Okay, Thanks, Gordon. so uh, yep. happy to happy to cheer you up there. Um, in its latest weekly update on Tuesday, the public health agency RIVM said the positive test rate was now up to 9.1%. Um, now, at the height of the outbreak, we had about 30%, but this is about the highest figure we've seen since the start of May. 
There's real concern about the rate of positive tests in hospitals and nursing homes as well. That's up to about 7.5%. So even the strategy of protecting the vulnerable is not looking to be working out too well either. Wow. So it's a mess, basically. It's a it's, mess. It's just yeah. unraveling. Yeah. So is the government, given all this bad news, planning to have more restrictions put in place? Um, well, there's, uh, Mark Ritter said there'll be another press conference on Tuesday. So Great. no rush, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, yeah, they're going to have some um, uh, cabinet meetings uh, over the weekend, uh, in the, uh, and then the outbreak management team will give its latest update on Monday. The new measures will be leaked to the media sometime on Tuesday morning, and then there'll be a press conference in the evening to confirm what we already know, which is that the disease is out of control. Uh, the OMT wow. has called for a curfew to curb the spread of infections. Uh, another option is to shut the bars even earlier than 10 p.m., um, we've seen this happen in other countries. Uh, I think the UK now. So some some cities in the UK now have shut bars altogether. It's happened in Paris as well. Paris has shut all its bars. Brussels. Uh, so that seems to be, Brussels again. Yeah, so that seems to be the way uh, things are going. Uh, one thing the government isn't planning to do yet is close the schools. Uh, Education Minister Ari Slob told NOS it was in the interest of the students to keep schools open as long as possible, and infections have not reached the point where a nationwide shutdown was needed. More than half of 1,500 students who responded to an NOS survey said they believed their education had been set back by the first lockdown. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I understand that because they weren't at school for three, we three exactly. months or something. Yeah. yeah, and you had online learning, but it wasn't the same as being in class. It was a couple of, I mean, my experience with my kids was it was a couple of hours a day. And, you know, it was quite hard to um, motivate them to get involved. So it took up my time as well. It's, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's just bad news for the whole family. And it's worth saying as well that, uh, you know, people say that, you know, we shouldn't keep the schools open to the detriment of people's health. But, you know, um, shutting, you know the shutting schools also has health consequences in the long term because people on uh, with a lower level of education live on average six years less than people who've gone to university. Yeah. So denying people those opportunities <sighs> to improve themselves has... It doesn't really seem like the virus is spreading via school kids. I mean, I think no. at this point there's pretty good evidence that kids are not spreading it. So it doesn't really seem like it makes a lot of sense to shut down the schools. I mean, part of the problem with this is, is that because the government is doing such a bad job at contact tracing that we don't yeah. really have a great understanding of where things are being picked up from maybe it's the bars maybe not maybe it is student parties maybe not maybe it is birthday parties maybe mm. not we just don't know and because we don't have that information it's really difficult to make decisions about more restrictive measures yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious to know how they're going to be able to pass a nationwide curfew when they can't mandate compulsory mask wearing and make you compulsory donate download the corona app which i guess we'll talk about in a minute like where is the legal basis for this in the first lockdown, they, you know, the, 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 there were various rules about you know you you couldn't meet up in groups of more than three, you couldn't um, you know that they could close uh, local parks or beaches if they got too busy. Yeah. So I guess uh, yeah, there, there are measures, uh, there are ways of doing that. But um, yeah, and a nationwide curfew would be a yeah quite diff yeah it would not be a straightforward thing to implement. Um, oh no, on the question of masks, do we think more people are wearing masks since yeah, the advice sure. came in? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yes, but I, I still think that the percentage of mask wearing people, at least outdoors, is uh, quite limited, I think. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that too. But outdoors isn't really the place where you need, where you need to wear them, though. Is it? That's it's true. About in, in, that's in, in, indoor spaces. 
but I was on my way to the to the uh, Albert Heijn XL here, and uh, outside, I think twenty percent of people were wearing masks, and inside mm. also. So uh, yeah, I don't think more people are wearing them. That's true, but uh, not as many as 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 I would wish. I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, but it's definitely more. I mean, in the last couple of weeks, that we've gone from almost zero. Certainly, in my local supermarket, True. I would think yeah. now maybe to some not, amount. So it is yeah. improvement. Well, not quite half, but it's it's getting there. And and maybe I mean, I'm kind of hoping we don't need an actual mandate for masks because I don't think that's. I think that's got all kinds of unpleasant consequences. Yeah, um, I agree. But, but, but if, if we if we absolutely need to, then uh, do it. But uh, hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll see that more people. It'll have a kind of snowball effect. You know, the more that the more people see other people wearing masks the less reluctant they'll be to wear them on themselves yeah i'm extremely skeptical of that i mean as somebody who just came back from luxembourg where every single i did not see a single person wearing a mask incorrectly i did not see a single person not wearing a mask everyone was wearing masks all the time i think the dutch government has shot itself in the foot over this because they spent so much time saying masks aren't useful Mm. um that it's really hard to just now convince people that masks are useful and that social pressure is only going to go so long because as paul was saying at the top of the podcast like it's annoying it's difficult for people who wear glasses to wear masks you have to remember to take it with you and if it's not compulsory if i can walk into the shop without it and i haven't brought a mask with me or i forget to put it on then yeah you're totally gonna do that it's only if it's really the rules that people that you're gonna get much higher compliance i think so yeah can i uh can i bring you some positive news please do or i think it's positive um, okay. the r value is uh reducing rapidly now um, is it is it really reducing rapidly? Well, not rapidly. It is reducing. No, it's slowly reducing. Yeah, that's what yeah. I have to say. But um, you know, but it's two weeks behind, isn't it? Well, it's, more uh, than that. There's all, yeah. always a delay because they have to you know reverse engineer it back. Uh, on September 18th, now the value was uh, 1.17 and had been 1.3, 1.4, 1.5 in the weeks before that. Uh, but there is an uncertainty level, but the, the level for uh, September, you know, late September, the last week of September was all around one. So that is an indication that the uh, infection rate uh, is, is, is uh, stabilizing or perhaps even yeah. reducing. But we uh, don't know for sure yet because they have to uh, they have to confirm that. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a little bit of a positive news here. Yeah, but you still got to see that coming forward in the figures. I mean, I, I, I kind of do a calculation where I look at uh, what what rate the numbers increase by um, compared to the infections of the last 28 days, so not just historic infections, and that, that's been accelerating the last couple yeah. of days. It's up to around over 7%, which is the equivalent of doubling every nine days. And, yeah, you know, indeed. That really needs to come down very soon. And uh, Well, and there's still this further issue about there not being sufficient amount of testing, which means there, there are definitely people who are infected who are not getting tested because you can't get a time slot, you can't... Or you have to go to the other end of the country to get yeah. your test yeah. as well, is the other thing. Yeah. Well, the numbers might be bad, but it looks like there will be an app for that. The infamous Corona app is set to be launched nationwide tomorrow. Corona Melder app will warn users if they have spent 15 minutes or more in close contact with someone who tests positive for the virus, as long as they have allowed that information to be used. The app, which Health Minister and James Dean wannabe Hugo de Younga promised <laughs> us back in July, has had so many problems that we are not going to list them all, but the delay has been in part because legislation needed to pass to make sure the app was legal. The upper house passed it on October the 6th. 
I love how you how how you we don't we don't only um, come up with job titles for our own, but also for uh, Hugo de Jonge every week. Yeah, that's. I mean, I'm. I was. I've. It's been a fun creative process to come up with new things besides used car salesmen. So I've exactly, been, uh, I've been yeah. enjoying. Yeah. I've been enjoying this challenge. I, I imagine that you already have a list compiled for you. Yeah, can... I've got a bit of a backlog, some of which are better than others, but yeah. The app works by exchanging random codes with other phones, which the makers say do not contain any personal information about you or any information about your location. It has been available for download since mid-August. It's already operational in five of the 25 regional health districts. Notification could follow an encounter in a cafe, a bar, a shop, waiting in a queue, at work, or while taking part in sports, the app website says. If users are alerted, they should then isolate for a 10-day period and only register for a coronavirus test if symptoms develop. Good luck with that. It will not be compulsory to use the app, and people will not be pressured into downloading it, DeYunga told MPs, nor will employers be allowed to request staff to download it or ask if they have done so, the minister said. It is counterproductive in the Netherlands for the government to make things compulsory. That's why, of course, it's not compulsory to stop at red lights, carry your ID card, or not stab people in the face. (laughs) So... Are we going to be downloading the app? Uh, well, it depends a bit. Uh, there are, I have two concerns. One is uh, a privacy issue, so I will uh, take a look at all these, uh, you know, privacy um, organizations. They will, <clears throat> they probably have a verdict on how how well the app scores on privacy issues. Uh, and also, I uh, don't want it to drain my battery, so uh, that's also one of my main concerns. Yeah, I am not super positive about downloading this app myself (laughs) i think Um, you already did a little bit of investigation then did you well i've actually read the report in part because the security report on the app was actually authored by like a fairly good friend of mine so i've been hearing from him about this process and of course he sent me the report because he was proud of it when it was done and he seems fairly well convinced that the app itself is not open to much in the way of security issues by which it means it's like not hackable or i mean everything i guess is hackable but that like it's not you can't do anything with the information that you can hack right the question of course is like what the government does with the information um which you know the dutch government is not the chinese government i guess i'm not terribly worried about you know the dutch government using this information in some sort of nefarious way it just kind of creeps me out to be honest um and also i I have questions about the effectiveness of an app like this to begin with. I'm not sort of sold on the whole concept, in part because it really does require people to have their phones with them and turned on a lot of the time, which I know that people love to joke about how connected we are to our phones, but I think about all the times that I don't take my phone with me, which is actually these days, almost all of the time when I leave the house because I'm not going out that much. So, you know, when I go running, I don't take my phone. When I go for, uh, when I go to walk the dog, I don't take my phone. If I pop over to the grocery store, I oftentimes don't take my phone. And like lots of times I forget it and like leave it at home. And this is not, I don't think that unusual. When I go running, I uh, record my run on my phone when i go to the grocery store i scan my groceries with my phone and i pay with my phone so yeah i i am uh, I'm, I'm the complete opposite of you i bring my phone everywhere so um i mean i do think that a lot of people take their phones with them and have them on most of the time i just wonder about whether or not that's enough for an app like this to actually be effective, effective. Yeah. i i think that this this project started out because the government thought it was going to be cheaper than hiring a bunch of people to do contact tracing. And I do not, 
I am not very convinced that the technology is the solution. All of that being said, I would very much like to not be living in a global pandemic. Um, I'm not, as we talked about last week, totally on board with the idea that masks make a tremendous amount of difference, but I also don't think that they hurt. So I'm like wearing my mask all the time because we live in a society and I'm not a monster. So maybe that will be my reason for downloading the app and just just doing it because even though I have reservations. T take one for the team. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So I'm team. not sure yet. I guess I'll decide tomorrow. When it's, uh, when it goes live. Oh no, when it, the windows go live on Monday or tomorrow. tomorrow. I mean, it's live now, but it's, it's opened you for use nationwide as of tomorrow. Okay. It's been being like sort of beta tested in a couple of places before this. That's Saturday, right? Isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yes, that's, uh, that's Saturday. In other corona news, judges in Arnhem have processed 21 appeals against coronavirus fines, lowering most of them to 95 euros and dismissing some charges altogether. The court said that in reducing the fines, it was taking the majority support in parliament for a change in the rules into account. Majority of MPs have backed cutting the fine for breaking social distancing regulations from 390 euros to 95 euros. The lower fine removes the risk that people who do break the rules will end up with a criminal record. More than 17,000 fines have been issued by the public prosecution service for breaching coronavirus rules in the Netherlands. That's according to figures released at the end of last month, so that's going to be higher now. Objections have been lodged in 6,872 of them, or nearly 40% of the total. Don't you think that the only reason why uh, the fines were lower because of the wedding of Vertrapperhaus? Isn't that yeah, just the sure. only reason? Absolutely. 100%. So wouldn't it just be better to sack the guy and get another MP and just have people yeah. stick to the rules? Yes, I would think so. Yeah. I mean, a fine of 95 euros is not nothing. Like, I would, you know, I would not like to not pay 95 euros. But if I was weighing my choices in making decisions against between 95 euros and 390 euros and a criminal record, I think that, like, a lot of people would be making different decisions. I think it just sends a message that it's not that serious to, to keep to the rules, basically. They just quartered the fine. So it, it, yeah. the message they send is um, it's, it's, it's 25% in, as important as it was uh, five months ago to stick to the rules, even though right. you know, the, the, the urgency is, is even, 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 even higher than it yeah. was then, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the thing that I'm worried about with the numbers that we were talking about, as Gordon was saying, is, is as the numbers were getting worse in the spring, we were coming into the summer when more people can be outside and you can have windows open and all of these things, right? And also you're coming into like a slightly slower expected work period. So like it's people had already had some plans. There was already some expectation, right, that kids are going to be home for the summer or whatever. Now you're seeing these numbers increase in a time period where the weather is unbelievably terrible. We're all stuck inside. You know, there is no expectation that you're going to have six weeks off or that like you would have some amount of time for holiday. So like the workload isn't as high. You're coming into Christmas and Sinterklaas when people want to be spending time with their family and are going to probably feel some incentive to not adhere to the rules. And here we are with Yeah, the fine being lowered again. I just, I don't know, man. I mean... You know how I feel? Uh, back in March, uh, we uh, were like the Titanic. We uh, saw the iceberg uh, coming 
just in time to avoid it. Uh, like, the, like the real Titanic, it was just too late, but we saw it a little bit earlier. And now we've just seen the iceberg for miles and miles uh, in front of us, and we're just steering towards it. And we right nobody's it. yeah right towards it, and nobody seems to to be doing an effort to avoid it. And I mean, in in March it was understandable because we. We knew so little about the uh, about the virus, but now half a year later, we know so much more, and it just feels so stupid that we are. I mean, I was just looking at the IC numbers. We are higher than we were. The the, the number of people on the on the intensive care are is higher than uh, than it was when we went into the first lockdown. I mean, it just right. seems so stupid that we are doing this. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, and there were also some precautions being taken for the elections in March. Yeah, so Desa Sestig and Pevedea MPs are calling on Home Affairs Minister Kasia Alonkren to consider opening up some polling stations two weeks ahead of the next Merck's general election. In particular, they say polling stations should be open earlier in busy places where long queues to vote may keep people off from waiting because of the coronavirus. The plans have costs attached and will require more volunteers, the parties say, but they urge the ministers to find out what the options are. This seems like a smart thing to do. I mean, I, two weeks does seem kind of long, especially in a country where the, the campaign season is so short but it certainly seems like if you could open them up three or four days ahead of time so that you give time for people to really like space out i think two weeks is a little bit of a, a little bit too much but it, indeed three or four days that would be uh i think that would be a smart thing to do yeah indeed uh, or just call on people to um uh, do uh voting by proxy as much as possible that would also help i think yeah that's also an option that you could that you could encourage um something like that i mean you know you could also do things like i mean i know that the netherlands has like a thousand bajillion polling stations, but you could probably try to have maybe a few more, right, to try to like spread, mitigate things out. I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly if it's maybe too late for that process, but it does seem like it's, it would be good to have a discussion about what you could do to make voting as safe as possible um, in a situation that probably is not going to be resolved by March. Yeah, indeed. If you'd like to support our efforts to bring you the latest news from the Netherlands, you don't need to wait three months for an app. You can go straight to Patreon and sponsor us for as little as a dollar a month. All our new patrons get a shout-out on the next podcast as a token of our gratitude, and you can ask us any questions about anything, anytime. We're also very excited to bring you news of the first ever Dutch News Podcast listeners' meetup in what's fast becoming our second home of Minneapolis. All going well. Minneapolis, St. Paul, right? <laughs> Minneapolis, right, sorry, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Yeah, no, no, yeah, no. Let's we, not we're, alienate we're... the people who live in St. Paul. Yeah, we're kind of twinned with the Twin Cities, which... Uh, yes. yeah. yeah. All going well. Our Minnesota branch will be getting together on Sunday afternoon. That's October the 11th. So if you're listening before then and you're in the area and you want to go along, send us a message via Patreon or drop us an email at uh, podcast.dutchnews.nl and we'll give you the details. This week this we've been... This is so weird. Yeah. Hang on, hang on. You can't just transition into something else. <laughs> this is so weird that people are well, uh, in fucking Minnesota of all goddamn places yeah. are having a meetup because they all listen to this idiotic podcast we produce every week. It is weird, isn't it? The, the, it's while we're so weird. Yeah, it's so weird. While we're sleepy on uh, Monday, uh, uh, yeah, while we're going off to sleep on, on Sunday, there'll be people across, uh, yeah, the... Uh, 4,000 kilometers away talking about Truby's dog food. It's, yeah, it's, true. it's really weird. It's so yeah. weird. But I, yeah. I, they have I, promised to send us a socially distant selfie. So I think uh, we lovely. will. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So have so yeah. So, so have fun, guys, and uh, yeah, keep us up to date with how how it goes. And if our listeners in Porte Acole in uh, Italy wants to meet up, uh, we would be happy to go there because we looked up some pictures of that place and it yeah, looks really, really nice. Lovely. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll deduct the we'll deduct the tax via our Luxembourg branch. Well. <laughs> exactly. Uh, this week we've been joined by two new patrons. Uh, first. Glenn to first Glenn first Glenn to Tanju, who very charitably gave us a guide to pronouncing his name, and then I forgot to actually write it into the podcast script. So oh, let's, let's just call him Glenn. Glenn, yeah, Glenn very charitably, yeah. Glenn's from Minnesota as well, although he's oh, really? two hours north of the Twin Cities. Um, and he says he couldn't what bear is to in hear... the water in Minnesota. <laughs> he says he couldn't bear to hear a week without a Minnesota contributor. I know. Yeah, we couldn't do that too. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Glenn says he's been a listener to the podcast for a while and adds, quote, my parents are from Limburg and I still have family there. So if Trump wins in November, the Netherlands may be my out. I don't think Limburg would be the best place to move in the Netherlands, but... I mean, better than a, than America with re-elected Trump? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> we also say hello and thank you to an even more far-flung listener, Louis Delphos, who's from Noosa in Queensland, Australia. Lou is Dutch-born, but raised in Australia, having emigrated at the tender age of one and a half, and goes on, quote, My mother was involved in a local community radio station and ran a program each week called Time with the Dutch, um, <clears throat> which uh, hopefully in, in that slot she uh, tried to explain to people how the Dutch tell the time. That would have taken up a lot of... I love the program. Uh, she, oh God, she, we would be here for an hour. We don't have exactly, that kind yeah. of time. At Sorry. least we uh, don't need to uh, express our time in French because that's that's the real uh, difficult language to do. That's it. a real crime here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to say, as someone who's also now learning French, I thought Dutch was bad and then I met French. It's yeah. like, once again, you know, you think that the Netherlands has an issue with something and then the French are just like, hold my ear. <laughs> we will do it 20,000 times worse. I mean, uh, uh, pronouncing 99 as 4 times 20 plus 10 plus 9, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, the, the French are no. just drunk, I think. Yeah, uh, Lou goes on, uh, she would always keep me informed with news from the Netherlands. I enjoy listening to the show as it keeps my connections with the country and reminds me of my mum. So, Very nice. That's, that's rather lovely, isn't it? So yeah, thank you, Lou, for lovely. your support, and we're glad that we can uh, help uh, keep the memories alive. If you'd like to join our exponentially growing band of patrons, log on to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. Uh, there's a link to the page in the line notes as well. Two days after a warning the manufacturer would go bankrupt, the transport ministry has told daycare centers and after-school clubs they may go, they may again use the electric wagon, known as a stint, to move children around. Uh, stints have been banned from the road since one of one was involved in an accident at a railway crossing in Oss in 2018, uh, in which four children aged four to eight were killed. Um, some 3,000 stints were in use in the Netherlands before the accident. Uh, the stint can carry uh, up to eight children, I believe. Uh, um, and it was yeah banned a day after the accident because it was feared problems with its brake system was the cause of the accident. Yeah, and it, it caused a lot of problems for daycare centers, right? Because they used it on so yeah. such a large scale to transport children to and from home and to other yeah. locations. Um, it, it was, it was yeah, it, it, it brought them into troubles uh, very much. Months later also, uh, after the crash, it was revealed that the stint got licensed without a proper safety investigation. So it was also quite worrisome, to be honest. Um, Transport Minister Cora van Nieuwenhuizen told MPs that the new stint, which is now um, upgraded and renamed the BSO bus, which is much less catchy yeah, sure. name, I think. 
is indeed roadworthy and um, there are risks in all light vehicles, she also told the MPs. Um, on Monday, the company founder told RTLZ that he had sacked all his staff and the company was about to fold because the ministry was taking so long to reach a decision. Currently, 1,500 new versions are in storage at the company's factory so in Nike. So, are we to understand from this that basically the guy went on TV and complained his company was going to fold and then basically a day later, the government turned around and approved these products for use yeah uh yeah i i am not entirely it seems to be a bit too much of a coincidence that a day later they approve it but i don't see i couldn't understand why they would delay it deliberately delay it so long um yeah and and then all of a sudden approve it a day after the company went bankrupt i i think it's a really weird story curious also that i mean this does not strike me as a thing that has i mean this is not the hyperloop right like this is not technology that's like so incredibly <laughs> advanced i mean you have electric bicycles in this country like i've been on electric bakfitsa before which is pretty much the same thing so why is it that yeah. this is taking so long why were there so many issues with these braking systems like i i just don't understand why this has become such a kerfuffle when it's pretty clear to me that a lot of this technology essentially already exists i mean maybe i'm missing something but what is the difference really between one of these stint things and you know a, an electric box feeds which I, I i would i would say the the difference is that since you are transporting children in it you want to uh, the safety requires are much higher i assume um that's sure. the only thing i can imagine but i mean you test it and you have you know you I, i'm not entirely sure why the testing would take so long then right that's i think that's 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 what i was trying yeah. to say is is that you know unlike something like the hyperloop where the technology is completely new and you really want to like you really have to have a good job understanding maybe you have to hire experts to the government who deal with these kinds of technologies right that like this is not all that substantially different from stuff that's already on the road so why would this take so long i don't know People who put videos of victims of an accident online should face a fine of 21,000 euros or up to one year in jail, according to new draft legislation presented in Parliament on Wednesday. The proposal, brought by Christian Democrat MP Madalena von Torenberg, is supported by the PVDA and Hrun Links. Von Torenberg has been working on a new law prohibiting videos of victims from being made public via streaming since footage of victims of a fatal accident on the A58 appeared online in 2018. People have been fined when caught filming, but mostly for hindering the emergency services or filming while driving, placing the images online is not yet an offense. It is unacceptable that this can happen. At the moment, there's hardly anything to deter people filming those who need help or have died and making the images public. That need for sensation is abhorrent. It is unacceptable breach of privacy and causes more grief to the victims or the relatives, Torenberg said. I agree with her. It's gross. You should not do it. And I think it should be illegal. Yeah, it's it's all it's really uh, perplexing, right? Every time you hear about this, uh, uh, very often um, police officers or medical workers uh, 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 speak out against it as well, that they arrive at a scene where someone is horribly, uh, horribly injured and uh, this person is surrounded by people, you know, uh, taking their phone out and filming it. Uh, uh, in, at some level, I understand because when an accident happens, it draws the attention of people and they start watching. But uh, yeah, I mean, watching is is one thing, but filming it is just another next level of 
of, of, of disgusting behavior. And uh, what she says is, is true. Uh, for example, this accident on this motorway, a lot of people just on, on the other side of the, on the side of the road, um, slowed down and started filming or stopped on the, on, on the, on the middle of the highway. And uh, they were fined because they were using their phone in traffic or they were hindering traffic, other traffic as well. Um, but now filming, filming, it, filming a fatal accident is, uh, will be illegal itself. And um, well, not the filming; it's the uploading oh, the of uploading. the images onto oh, the online. If the filming yeah. is already uh, no filming of an accident isn't uh, already. Uh, I mean, I don't even know w whether that would be useful or if you could even report it. I mean, I I would have a question about filming an accident being made illegal in terms of like, well, you know, what there's lots of things that we have seen that have come to light because people have been filming stuff that we would not have known about, you know, 20 years ago because nobody filmed it. But I think the thing that's really bad is uploading those videos onto Facebook or something where they can be shared. And then like your parents now have to see your dead body on the side of the highway. I mean, that's what you should be thinking about when you're doing this. I agree. It should be illegal to do it. Indeed. Sports News and PSV scored a coup on the last day of the transfer season by bringing a World Cup winner to Eindhoven. Mario Goetze scored the only goal when Germany beat Argentina in the 2014 final. But injuries and a struggle with a rare muscular disease, myopathy, affected his form in recent years and he'd just been released by Borussia Dortmund when PSV came calling. Goetze, who's 28, is reportedly taking a significant pay cut for the chance to revive his career. Alchemin Dachblatt said his annual salary would be 2 million euros a year, uh, so he's going to just struggle by on that, but that's compared to 10 million he was earning in Germany. Altogether, Dutch clubs were involved in 661 transfers over the summer, just nine fewer than a year ago, but the number of players coming in was 211, and that is a record. So lots of activity by Dutch clubs, and uh, yeah, quite a scoop for PSV to, uh, to, to get Mario Götze's signature. Do, don't you think Mario Götze thought he was signing for PSG? Quite possibly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's in for a nasty surprise when he arrives in Eindhoven. This is not Paris. Yeah, this is not Paris, although I don't have to wear a mask, so I guess that's... That's true, that's a plus side, yeah. Uh, and there's also a bad start for Frank de Boer as national team manager, wasn't there? Yeah, absolutely a terrible match uh, in Amsterdam um, on t Tuesday night. Um, uh, only went down 1-0 to Mexico. Uh, started with a lot of first-choice players, to be fair, including Frankie de Jong, Daly Blind and Quincy Promes. And Mexico had a player on their team called Jesus Corona, uh, <laughs> which is also the standard Dutch response now to the RIVM figures. Uh, Raul Jimenez scored the only goal from the penalty spot. De Boer said the result was disappointing, but the priority was the upcoming Nations League matches against Bosnia on Sunday and Italy next Wednesday. Uh, so yeah, we'll have to see if uh, he does any better there. In the Eredivisie, Feyenoord are top of the table on goal difference, so congratulations to Dick Advocat. Oh, yeah. Oh, congratulations, Dick. Yeah. Sports yeah. news. Yeah, uh, PSV and also have 10 points from their first four matches. So never mind about football, Gordon. What's happening with Kiki Bertens? Uh, Bertens was on the wrong end of a shock result at the French Open. Uh, she went out in the fourth round to Martina Trevisan from Italy. Uh, she, she was uh, A few of the top seeds had gone out to the tournament, so Bertens was fancying her chances up till then. She's ranked as eighth in the world and was the fifth seed, while Trevisan is 159th and had to play three qualifying rounds to reach the finals. She also dropped out of the game for four years when she was struggling with an eating disorder. And there's a good piece in the New York Times on her comeback that we'll, we'll link to, and it's uh, well worth a read if you've got time. Um, Bertens earlier had caused 
Opeth in the second round as she struggled to overcome another Italian qualifier, Sara Arani. Bertens complained of cramps during the match. Uh, she, she fell to the court at one point uh, in pain and ended up leaving uh, after the match, uh, which he won in three sets, in a wheelchair. Arani accused her of exaggerating her pain for effect. She said, quote, it made me very angry. Well done to her, but she can win without doing that. This isn't basketball. Like, how do you, what do you <laughs> get for exaggerating your pain in tennis? You get taken off uh, in a wheelchair. Yeah, but don't That's you just happens. lose the match then? Yeah, but this isn't soccer where you're going to get like a red <laughs> card thing because you do an Oscar winning performance of pretending <laughs> that somebody kicked you in the shins. We have something. we have a word for that, Molly. Don't you know the word? No. Schwalbe. Ah, that's a good one. It's a German word, by the way, I think. Yeah, isn't it? I like that. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's a German word. Yeah, it means it's a German word for swallow. And it means literally a swallow dive. Yeah, but I think the Italian was uh, was uh, trying to uh, make out that Burton's was, was putting her off deliberately. Because, uh, yeah, I think she was saying it was kind of mind games, trying to put her off her stride. Just bad sportsmanship. Let's end on some fun and exciting news. Yeah, very fun news. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we, lastly, we do a little roundup of, of some news that we've been uh, covering for the past uh, three or four years, uh, I, I believe, now that we're doing this podcast. Uh, so, yeah, uh, small, uh, small updates on that. First, we begin with the King's solar panels. In an effort to make his workplace in The Hague, North Einde Palace, more sustainable, King Willem-Alexander wanted to install solar panels on his roof. But the owner of the building, the government, will not allow it. The reason is that it will take at least 50 years before the investment uh, to fully return. Uh, it wasn't disclosed why this will take half a century, but experts think it probably has to do uh, with the poor energy efficiency of the four-century-old building uh, and also uh, with the limited space on the palace's roof. It wasn't the first time the king lost the battle of solar panels. A permit request to install solar panels on the roof of his other palace, House Ten Bosch Palace, was declined by the municipality of The Hague in 2018 because the building is an A-graded monument. Um, so yeah, we, we live in a country where even the king cannot escape the bureaucracy of the municipality. No, he still has to paint his house the correct colors. It, That's how it indeed. works. Indeed. Uh, and in 2013, while visiting a solar panel factory in Germany, then Queen Beatrix complained about the bureaucracy surrounding her plan to install solar panels on one of her greenhouses. So yeah, the the king and solar panels, uh, the royal family and solar panels is not a not a good uh, not a good combination. No, no, they don't seem to be handling this uh, this situation well. Next, we move on to that other major klus drama in The Hague, the Binnenhof. The parliamentary complex is in dire need of a renovation, but it takes even longer than developing a Corona app to take this off the ground. <laughs> the whole operation was scheduled to start in 2018, but it was delayed after the group of architects hired to oversee the renovation was fired because their plans, which included a tropical indoor garden, were regarded by Tweede Kamer Chair uh, Katisha Arip as over-the-top and megalomaniacal. Is that a word? Uh, sure. Yeah? Okay. It is now. It is now. <laughs> I mean, in Dutch, we have a really nice word for these kind of plans, megalomaan. So I really tried to find a translation for this word, but I couldn't really find it. Yeah, I don't think that that's exactly no. how you use it, but it's fine. We're going to just go, We're with, this. go it's, with it. It's okay. Um, yeah. Internal fighting between the seven or eight committees responsible for the renovation were also not helpful uh, to uh, to reduce delays. And then the stickstuff crisis happened, which delayed the whole thing with another year in 2019. Molly's favorite building in The Hague, the for former Foreign Affairs Ministry, which she famously described once as a building designed by Antoni Gaudi in its Soviet period, was transformed into temporary offices for MPs and the rest of the parliament, including an exact copy of the plenary chamber. 
Um, but Khadija Arib informed Junior Interior Minister Raymond Knops this week that the Tweede Kamer will not move into the building in September 2021 as scheduled. Uh, the official reason is that the building is not Corona proof, but I think the, one of those committees is just being... Uh, uh, you know, want to want to be the, the the most important committee again, so they're just uh, 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 blocking, blocking it. it. Yeah. So um, yeah, the Binnenhof. Uh, Are any buildings Corona proof? No, especially not the the current uh, Binnenhof complex. No, definitely. For sure. So, um, I mean, going from one not Corona proof building to another one doesn't seem to me like uh, you know a step yeah. down, but. Yeah, still. It's such a mess to Binnenhof. It's it's such a mess. All of this is such a disaster. Yeah. I mean, it there was no way that you were going to renovate a building in this situation and not have it be a disaster, but this this is starting to become What is this building in Brussels that's been on, under construction for like 30 years? Mm. The is it the Justice I think it's the Justice Building. Oh, uh, you mean the the Palace of Justice, the the, yes, the exactly. classical the, building. Yeah, it's under renovation yes. for 40 years or something, I believe now. Yeah, the, I'm st I'm starting to worry that the Binnenhof complex renovation is going to go the way of yeah. the of this justice building yeah. in, in Brussels. Yeah, especially because and that in 40 years, if we're still doing this podcast, <laughs> we will still be discussing <laughs> the renovations. Of this Indeed, building. yeah, it was decided. The Binnenhof complex is is, is a huge complex uh, with century old buildings, and it has a lot of uses. Not only the Tweede Kamer, but also the Senate, uh, the Prime Minister's office. Um, the Council of State has offices there as well. A lot of uh, users of the building, they need to be uh, moved and relocated for uh, how long this renovation will take. And they just don't want to leave because, you know, it is their home and it is, uh, you know, the, the, the Binnenhof has a certain prestige, right? You don't want to go from the Binnenhof with all these nice little towers and these nice little buildings to that building, uh, that Sofia building of Antoni Gaudi, right? I mean, I understand yeah. why you don't want to move, but... Yeah, for sure. I get it. But, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it will generate a lot of op for the coming years, so uh, 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 that's a positive side, I think. Yeah. And last but not least, uh, more than 100 mysterious packages washed ashore this week on the beach near Borsle in Zeeland. The packages wrapped in brown plastic were mysteriously labeled with pictures of animals such as dogs, pigs, horses and sheep. And upon further inspection it turned out the, the packages contained cocaine and in total uh, it has an estimated value of 15 million euros. It wasn't the first time the beaches in Zeeland turned white. In 2013, in a similar incident on the other side of the island, 5 million euros worth of cocaine washed ashore. And in 2014, in the water near uh, Vlissingen, police fished 1,400 kilos of cocaine in sports bag tied of a buoy uh, out of the water. A suspiciously flashing light was attached to the buoy, which drew the attention of fishermen sailing by who notified the police. And the police will keep an eye on the beach in Borsle in case more packages wash ashore. And it is unknown if the runners who spotted the packages arrived home much faster than usual that's uh, uh yeah some I, very uh holy, the the picture that you sent was really funny yeah was, because uh really the, the, the 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 local uh the local broadcaster of zeeland uh, uh was uh, arrived uh, at the scene sooner than the military police so they were filming all mm -hmm. these packages and all of a sudden they had a close-up of, of four of these packages and all of a sudden a dog walked into frame and started sniffing these packages. It was really, it was really, it was really weird. <laughs> yeah, it was really yeah. funny. And the dog looked like maybe he'd been swimming around in the ocean or something, because he looked a little like sort of coked <laughs> out, basically. It's like little bits of hair were sticking up everywhere. It was quite, quite entertaining. Indeed. That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl.
will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. You'll earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. And apparently you can move to Minnesota and join a commune of Dutch News listeners. My thanks to Gordon Derrick and Paul Paters. I'm Molly Quell. We'll be back next week. I'm Molly Quell, contributing editor at Dutch News and survivor of Europe's most max max and max, survivor of Europe's mad, and mad survivor of Europe's and and survivor of Europe's most max max fuck <laughs>